Yo, what's good, my G? Yo, what's popping? We good, man. Back. I think what is this like four weeks in a row? Ah, man, I lost count. I think we're probably at five, maybe four wow. or five. That's crazy. Time flies, man. Time yeah. flies. But man, I'm super lit, super excited about everything that's been happening. We've been getting great reviews. Last week's show was a hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it changed my perspective and my thinking about homeschool and really, you know, pushing towards actually doing it. Yeah. So I actually, you know, I, I, I can officially say that I'm, we're not homeschooling right now. This is just distance learning. <laughs> so, right. so yeah. So, so our guest Talitha, first of all, thank you to Talitha and uh, the rise organization for coming on and also thanks to our wives for uh, joining the show as well. Let me make sure that I get that. So I don't get in trouble when I get off this. Right. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. But so, yeah. So, you know, got some good information about that. So, pretty excited about that and got a lot of feedback um, after Mm -hmm. that too. And um, a lot of folks reached out to connect with Talitha about questions that they may have, or even looking into potentially starting their own homeschool. So that was pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. People hit me up the next day and they were just like, it was people who didn't even have children that were were like talk, having conversations about when they do have children and um, doing the the homeschooling because you already know what the, the public school education is going to do to our black and brown. So, I mean, black and black boys and girls. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that was dope. Uh, shout out to Talitha. Shout out to her husband as well. Who yeah, yeah, yeah. Javante. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say is um, I was actually going to transition into what today's show is. So if you yeah. had something to say. No, no, no. We're good. Let's move on with that. Let's All do right, that. man. So, you know, as we, we always keep it pretty dope. And actually, we're going to be talking, about, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, today we're going to be talking about marijuana, CBD industry, and yeah. even the criminalization um, that comes with, you know, marijuana. And, you know, we got an expert that's going to be with us. And so, man, I appreciate it if you uh, introduce her. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm excited again because, um, you know, anything that's tied to my alma mater, I'm always excited about. And we have yet another alumni, pretty successful alumni um, that has been working in this industry for quite some time now. Uh, So she is the co-founder of of Dope CFO. Uh, It's a nationally recognized cannabis accounting firm um, that does bookkeeping and training programs. Um, So far, they've helped about uh, 500 accounting professionals in all 50 states uh, to build, you know, thriving cannabis accounting firms. And it's just a, a pretty unique space that I didn't even know existed because when you think of, uh, you know, the cannabis industry, you just think about the sale of it, right? And, or the use of it, but you don't think about the auxiliary, um, I guess, organizations that help support that, right? And so I think unless you want to go to jail, you might want to have some proper accounting in place. So, uh, Naomi Granger is our guest, uh, and she's a pretty dynamic uh, person. Um, I've known her for quite some time, and she's, uh, as I stated before, she's an alumni of the illustrious Florida A&M University. Go Rattlers. Uh, so, yeah, so without further ado, man, let's let's bring her out. Bring her out. Bring her out. What's up? Hey, hey, hey. So, Naomi, first of all, thanks for joining us. Two really dope dudes. Um I'm pretty excited about this conversation because um, leading up to this, I've been getting quite a bit of feedback and even some questions like, you guys sure y'all want to talk about that? But nothing's off limit on this show. So first of all, thank you for coming on. 
And why don't you tell the people a little bit more about you, yourself, your background, and what even qualifies you to talk about this topic? Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, so I started in accounting. I was a, um, I'm a CPA and I worked at big four accounting firms. I worked in corporate and I did that for over 12 years. And then I got to the point where I no longer wanted to go into an office or a cubicle. I did not want to work for anybody. I felt like I was going to prison from nine to five. Like I was in a windowless cube for all those hours, nine until they let me leave that day. And um, I just wanted something different. So while I was still working, I started doing research on how do I build an online business? I really wanted a remote business, something that I could do from my computer, from anywhere in the world. I could you know, be anywhere on a vacation and still make money. So four years ago, I already had the idea of what we're going through right now. Like I wanted to work from my computer and I wanted to design my life around that. And so I started studying online businesses. I started studying other industries. I thought maybe I couldn't do accounting anymore because I didn't know how to do accounting remotely. Um, and then two years, um, I ended up getting fired because there was no wow. way that I was going to, I wanted this lifestyle, however, I was making six figures and there was no way I was just gonna quit. Right, um, right. But I feel like I kind of willed it on to myself because every day I went to work, I was saying, I hate it here, I'm miserable. I don't wanna be here, I don't wanna be here. Right. And then ultimately I ended up getting fired. And so I had saved up for that day because I had already planned way before I got fired that this was my last corporate job. Mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna figure this out. So I started already investing in online education. I put money to the side. I you know, got rid of all my debt and I made myself so that I can, so that this could happen for me. So I right. was actually unemployed for two years before I actually found something that actually worked for me. And I knew that it was going to take some time. It had, I had to relearn how to work because I'm used to being an employee. So I had to be, learn how to be an entrepreneur. I had to learn a new skill set. I had to learn all these different things. Um, it did get hard towards the end of that two years. I was thinking about going and just getting another job. So I was still a CPA. Right. Um, I could still get a job anywhere, but I, um, I went, I actually went to a job interview and then um, they offered me uh, 50K, which was what I was making when I graduated college. Right. And I'm, I was like, did you guys see that I had 12 years of experience on my resume? Right. And so um, prior to me going to that job interview, I had invested in a training program to teach me how to do a remote accounting practice. And so I went to that job interview and I was like, you know what, let me just work this program that I've already invested. I invested $6,000 in. Let me work this program, see if I could land clients. And two weeks after I got that offer, I landed my first client that was paying me $1,500 a month for doing monthly bank reconciliations, credit card reconciliations, PayPal, Amazon, just reconciliations. And took me about 20 hours a month. And I was like, dude, all I need is like five or six of these. And that's more than that 50K that person offered me. Right. Um, and so then in the, another lesson that I learned in the training program is you need to pick one niche and become an expert in that one niche in order to really scale your business. 
And so I started playing around like um, the first client was just, you know, anybody who needs an accountant, I'm ready because I need to get some income. Um, but then I started playing around and trying to figure out what is that one niche for me. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the niches that I that I tried to explore, I didn't enjoy them. I wasn't passionate about them. I didn't really care if their stuff balanced and I didn't really they didn't really have a need for me. But mm -hmm. then I learned about the legal cannabis industry. And that's when I started to get really passionate, something that I could sink my teeth into. And it's just taken off from there. So it's been over two and a half years that I have been doing accounting in the cannabis, specifically in the cannabis industry. Um, and it's just, um, it's been amazing. It's an amazing ride. And I, I really enjoy uh, what I'm doing now. So I can tell that you're, you're super passionate about um, what you do, right? So you know, we, we all want to find something that we're passionate about in life. Um, but it was also risky, right? Because this is still an industry that's still in its infancy, still developing, still get, you know, gaining traction. And there are still a lot of opposition to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, coupled on top of that, just the aesthetics, right? Just, just the um, per perception of the industry itself. Uh, talk to us about one, why take a risk of going into a space that's already volatile, not really sure how it's going to shake out because there are a lot of rules and regulations that are still shaping around that. How were you able to even maneuver that? Yeah, great question. So it's a little bit easier when you go into it as an ancillary business. Mm -hmm. And we can talk more about the different types and, and needs for ancillary businesses a little bit later. Um, mm -hmm. So going in as an ancillary business, um, we like to use the uh, we like to use the saying, you know, during the gold rush, not everybody struck gold, but right. everybody needed a shovel. Mm -hmm. And so the per person who was selling the shovels was making all the money and that gold miner may or may not have made money. And it's the same thing in this industry. We have these cannabis businesses. It's a lot riskier to go in and actually get a license, try to um, start a business, open a dispensary, open a farm. It's a, it's very capital intensive. And a lot of these businesses are barely breaking even right now, only because they're heavily taxed. And we'll get into that. You know, they pay more for all of their, all of their expenses. Uh, there's just so much regulation, so much overhead. So a lot of them are just barely breaking even right now. But as an ancillary business, it was easier to take that risk. Once uh, the only possible risk to me would have been the risk of losing my CPA license. Right. And so mm -hmm. I ended up um, finding a mentor and working with somebody closely. Um, and he's now my business partner. And we, he kind of, you know, helped me understand, you know, there's, there's really no risk as an accountant to lose your CPA license. You've, you've got to check the state statutes and each state has, has issued a, uh, an opinion on the, if you're allowed to work with them or not. Um, but as long as you're not signing an opinion or doing review work where you're signing on the dotted line saying, based on my professional opinion, mm -hmm. these books are, are materially accurate, as a bookkeeper, you're not doing that. And so mm -hmm. ultimately, even if you prepare their taxes, ultimately the risk lies on the business owner. And so, and that's another thing I, I try to educate business owners that they can't just bury their head in the sand and say, oh, I've got an accountant. I don't even want to think about it because if that accountant's not doing it right, they're the ones that are going to be in court and they're the ones that are going to have to foot the legal bill and they're the ones that could possibly get some jail time. So mm. it's a very low risk as the ancillary business. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So 
Naomi, I'm, I want to. You you brought up something in um in 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 your comments about capital and about getting into the uh, into the business and the industry. I want to know if you could talk a little bit about demographics, right? And and the reason why I'm raising this question is because in America we know that African Americans. It's interesting the dynamic, right? African Americans have been arrested for weed possession and distribution of weed, but here we now see a business that is very lucrative for the very same things that African-Americans are in prison for right now. And it's still being distributed and being sold, but in a different way. What are the demographics like? Are What are they like in this field um, that you're in right now? Yeah, the irony. So <laughs> it came, you, they, they took them off the street corners, put them in jail, and then they made them legal. And right. then they made it an essential business during a pandemic. And now you can only buy it on the street corner curbside. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is happening in this country? Who's in charge? <laughs> but yeah, so African Americans as well as women are underrepresented in this industry. When this in, when it went legal, is predominantly white male, uh, white female as well um, that are able to get these licenses. Uh, the licenses were not um, equitably distributed in each of the states, as well as the, um, the licenses. The, they have all these barriers. You can't have a, a criminal background. Right. Um, you had to have millions of dollars of capital to even get in. So there's just all these barriers for the African-Americans to even get into this industry. So what's happened is a lot of these states, they issued licenses and then you know, you know they, they opened it up, they made it legal, and then you look up and all the licenses are gone. And mm -hmm. so a lot of these states and a lot of the people protested um, and they, ha they had them open it back up, but make it more equitable. Um, there are these um, social equity programs some, that some states have issued and the social equity programs are made in in order to provide funds to underrepresented people who were negatively impacted by the war on drugs to help them get the funds and um, be able to get the licensing. And a lot of times what I was seeing is that a lot of the um, male, white male dom dominated businesses would find an African-American mm. partner in wow. order to qualify for the social equity program that was the loophole. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, you know, there's a there's a bunch of movements out there. I do know a lot of African American uh, dispensary owners and mm -hmm. license holders and things, and I'm I'm proud to know them. But uh, we still have a long way to go. Let's let's talk. Let's transition a little bit, right? And and I want to put things into perspective. And let's talk about the economics of, around this, right? So there wouldn't. So this is kind of like the modern day gold rush. Let's talk about. Let's quantify it, right? So last year, um, I think the stats were $12.2 billion, with a B, not an M, billion dollars made in that industry. Uh, this year, from what we understand, is that it'll it's projected to be more than $24, 25000000000 billion um, as far as revenue that will come from this industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, you talked earlier about, you know, the ability to get licensing and the whole criminality. And, and if you have a background, you can't really get the licensing and so forth. Um, I guess you also spoke about the ancillary businesses around it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because if I'm locked out from the industry because I have a criminal background, how do I get in in another way? What are some of the different auxiliary things that we could be doing to potentially get into this industry to support it? 
Okay, awesome. Yeah. So this is actually one of the biggest industries in the country. It's almost like opening up uh, an entire new economy. So wow. if you were to think back to like when the car was first created, mm -hmm. um, now you need roads, uh, now you need gas stations, now you need motels on the side of the road for people to um, stay at on, on a road trip. You need tires, you need oil. There was so much mechanics, there's so much opened up just from the creation of the car. Mm -hmm. I look at cannabis the same way. So you have this huge multi-billion dollar industry that needs accountants they need marketers they need special packaging for those edibles so that your mm -hmm. kids don't get to them uh, they need you know they need signs they need there's so much that these businesses need in order to operate they need attorneys they even need electricians and plumbers and real yeah. estate um, agents and things to get them mm -hmm. their um, locations right. and so if there's something that you're very passionate about there is a way that you can possibly shift your current skill sets into the cannabis industry because just about everything that you can think about a business needing that um, you can probably offer that to them. I got a question. Do they need pastors? Because um, <laughs> you got to get creative with that one. <laughs> they need a few. They need a few preachers. I'll uh, you know, I'll see if we can get in there. No, I'm just playing. But so, so I want to read. I want to read something to you, and I want you to give me your opinion on this. Right. So. Um, we still know that um, the legalization or states opening up um, and allowing the sale of, of marijuana as a legal product in that state, um, it's kind of like a slow crawl. And I know that it's probably being expedited because of COVID. But just like the prohibition on alcohol, um, I'm curious to hear your opinion around this. Um, so I found some stats and it said approximately 88,000 people uh, men and women die from alcohol-related um, deaths annually, mm. right? Mm. And um, it said around 50,000 people die each year from alcohol poisoning, um, and similarly, 400,000 deaths attributed to tobacco smoking. Now, I stopped there as far as stats are concerned, and I didn't really dig any deeper to find out what the uh, overdose rate was for marijuana, because I can probably say it's negligible. Why do you think that there is such a resistance um, for for this industry? Yeah. Now, I don't even know if you can overdose on marijuana. Right. That um, was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's all about money. And right. we're able, and hopefully this COVID thing is a wake up call because once profits are removed, mm -hmm. then humanity comes forward. Like all this stuff that's happening, people, you know, relaxing, rinse, you know, giving stimulus plans, letting you cancel your flights, like all this stuff that they could have been doing. Right. All of a sudden, now this is this is okay to do because they're not making any money anyway. So profits have been removed and humanity has come and there everybody is in this together and they're helping people out. And not only um, did you know all that went away, so now marijuana became essential. It became right. an essential business during a time of a crisis because they do know that this is medicine. The U.S. government has has had a patent on the medical use of cannabis since 2003. But we've been wow. in this war on drugs for 
decades. Right. And so they know that this is medicine. However, there's profits that are tied to it. Like if you can grow your medicine in your back backyard and get rid of PTSD, um, get rid of depression, um, fix your whatever menstrual cramps or things you have going on, and you don't have to go to the, the pharmacy and get something that's made from, you know, a uh, a medicine that has chemicals wrapped around it that only that pharmaceutical company can make, produce, and sell to you, then those pharmaceutical companies are going to start losing a lot of money. And so they are trying to release, like um, CBD became federally legal. Mm -hmm. And I do know that there is one pharmaceutical company that is working to um, make a CBD um, medicine. But first of all, they've got to make it so that you can't just Grow it yourself. Right. <laughs> you can't just use it yourself because right now a lot of people are getting figuring out how to make their own CBD oil to cure their epilepsy for their children um, and those types of things. So I, I think it's all about it, it boils down to money. There's so much money in the war on drugs. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting yeah. that you just said that. Sorry, Jamie, just real quick. So there's another stat that I found. So the US spends $10 billion annually, right? Um, of taxpayer dollars on arrests for marijuana. So there's on 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 an annual basis six hundred thousand arrests made for mm. marijuana related um, uh, crime. But yet simultaneously, you just said something. You kind of grazed over it a little bit. The U.S. Health Department holds the patent for uh, marijuana, which is which is weird to me. You're spending all this money on the criminal aspect of it, filling up jails, which is another industry we can get into a little bit later. Um, but yet, you know, you hold a pat patent to it. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to talk to a bunch of politicians. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know, it's, it's, it kind of goes back to a broader picture in the health care industry in America that America cares more about prescription than prevention. Right. So if marijuana is going to heal you, the pharmaceutical companies don't want that. There's no you incentive. Know, and the other thing too is you probably need to, and this will probably take a lot of research, is I'm pretty sure that a lot of pharmaceutical companies or business owners probably got stocks in privatized prisons. So you know it keeps the money circling and the money growing because I'm sure the CBD lobbyists don't have as much power as uh, these pharmaceutical companies yeah. right. that they can buy politicians and make sure that this thing stays to the side because we don't want, you know, we don't want people getting healed. It's kind of like, you know, raid, you know, rope spray. Like why would <laughs> raid make a spray that kills all roaches? They'll put themselves out of business. <laughs> so, you know, you make, you make a spray that kills a few roaches and but coming back for more. So right. yeah, yeah, but it's the thing. America just loves loves it when people are sick. You know, they love people being sick and not being healed because that that continues to keep the beds filled exactly. in the hospitals and the beds filled in the prisons keep locking up black people for I mean I mean I think in Dallas they were locking up people for just having like and not even a, a I think like 4 ounces of weed or an ounce of weed and you know how small that is, how light that is, you are already getting thrown into um that doesn't make you a kingpin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to get these people out that because right. now they're getting they might die over right. an ounce of weed mm -hmm. because of COVID. Right. So it's just <laughs> yeah, like, it's a cycle. 
Yeah, that's yeah, you ain't pushing no weight. You ain't selling no ounce. <laughs> Who you selling the ounce to? So, so let's talk about that. The the medical uses um, that you, I guess I don't know if you how much you know about that side of it, but can you speak to for those that are probably watching this but are probably grinding their teeth because we're sitting here having a conversation of potentially <laughs> lobbying for the uh, legalization of marijuana, right? Can you provide some context around? Um, the different uses that are currently out there that we know about may not necessarily be FDA approved, but that we know about. Yeah. So when I first got into this industry, I started seeing so many stories of children um, with epilepsy and being able to use CBD oil to get rid of their epileptic seizures. So there was a little girl who was having a seizure every 20 minutes and wow. she was taking 20 or so pills that was prescribed to her. And then her parents learned about CBD and they started putting a little bit of CBD oil under her tongue, which let me first um, help you guys understand the difference in the chemicals, um, just in case you're not Please. familiar. So cannabis is the overall plant mm -hmm. and you have a tea, you have you have lots of chemicals in there. There's a, b a bunch of chemicals, but the most popular ones are, you have your THC, which is the chemical that actually gets you high. Okay. And then you have the CBD, which is the chemical that is the medicine and it does not get you high. And so that's why it's okay to give CBD to kids because it's not um, a hallucinogen. And so, yeah, I saw a lot of these stories where the parents were putting the, the CBD oil under the kid's tongue and they were going for months without having a seizure. Wow. And so they went from a seizure every 20 minutes to months, even years without having a seizure to the point where when this first started, the story I was watching, the um, parents were in a state that wasn't legal. They moved to Colorado in order to be able to treat their child. Um, and they, you had to, they had to make their own measurements and, and guess on how much to give to their child, but it helped. Um, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of kids and a lot of people with epileptic seizures that's been able to find relief using cannabis. It helps with pain. You'll see that, um, I just saw an article that grandma is in the dispensary. So you'll see that a lot of the baby boomers, I mean, they feel a lot more comfortable being able to go to a dispensary where they know exactly what they're getting, what Mm -hmm. in there and all that stuff um, and using that for arthritis, using that for, for pain and different things that's going on in their life. Um, there's PTSD, isn't it? There is such a long list of things that cannabis has been able to, to help people with. Um, however, the only issue we have is that there, there hasn't been money put into the actual studies. Mm -hmm. And so that that's the main reason why the government won't put their stamp of approval that you, know, you can use this because they haven't invested the money that it takes in order to do the proper studies um, to get it approved. Well, there's obviously $10 billion out there that they spend annually that they, they can put in R&D. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Naomi. Um, a uh, question on access to CBD, and I'm assuming insurance companies are not subsidizing it for families. Is it accessible? Is it affordable? Are you aware of what some of the going rates or the prices for um, for the oil? Yeah, so I'm not sure. I actually so. People might be surprised, but I don't use the product at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't smoke. I don't no, use cannabis. Don't use she lives in the words of the, the great notorious B.I.G. Never get high. <laughs> don't get high, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> or and I've never inhaled. <laughs> but um, no, um, yeah, I don't actually use the product, and I'm. Su it's surprising a lot of the business owners, the 
that um, have these licenses also don't use the product. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty interesting. You got people who built the the industry and they can't mm -hmm. get a license. But but yeah, so I'm actually uh, I know it's a lot more expensive to get it out of a dispensary. And the reason why it's a lot more expensive because the dispensaries are taxed and they, they have to pay Overhead. for licensing, they have to pay for taxes, they have to pay for to, to be um, regulated. Um, it, it costs more for them to even get a bank account. They have to pay upwards of $3,000 a month just to have a bank account open. So um, the, the they have to be able to cover all those costs. So it is a lot more expensive to get it out of a dispensary than to you know buy it on the street corner. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure about wh what price range um, it would be for if you're a regular user. I have a question for you and you may or may not be able to answer this, but, or maybe someone that is in the comments probably can answer this, but let's say I have a nail knit, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously there are some companies that do random drug testing, right? Mm -hmm. And whatever ailment I have, I'm trying to use CBD as a way to address that issue. Is that something that would be traced in a drug test if I were to be randomly tested? So CBD, you'll be fine because that's federally legal now. Okay. But if you are getting THC, and also I didn't describe this earlier. So um, in order to qualify, since they all come from the same plant, mm -hmm. a, a marijuana plant with high levels of THC also has a little bit of CBD in there. And CBD also has a little bit of THC. But to qualify for the legal CBD, it has to be below 0.3% of THC in that plant. So if you, if I was holding a marijuana with high THC plant next to right here, and then another plant with high levels of CBD, they would look identical. You would mm. have to do a laboratory test to understand which one is legal and which one is illegal. Wow. Um, and so if you are taking CBD, that's completely federally legal. It just was legalized in 2018. So mm. you would be fine. Now, if you were taking T, if you were like smoking a joint for, for relief and you were getting um, THC from that, mm -hmm. some states have gotten rid of that law. Like they, employers, Nevada is one um, where if they do a random drug test, they cannot uh, deny you work if you're mm -hmm. applying or they can't fire you because of THC. And I did just see an article of another state or another industry that was, I think it was the NH, the, the NBA or the um, NFL or one of these sports um, industries was uh, not going to, you, you couldn't get fired or, you know, if you have THC, which is something that is common in that industry. But yeah, you, um, so it's slowly rolling out that they won't be able to do, uh, fire you or not hire you because of being tested positive for marijuana. All right. So your job is safe, McDonald. You all right, man. You Check safe. with your state. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking for a friend. I, I, was I don't know about saying. Texas. I don't think Texas is on board yet because Texas is still very limited. Um, I think they have three licenses and they're only for CB um, epilepsy patients. Yeah. That's it. yeah I'm, 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 I've been seeing a few more shops showing up in uh, Dallas. Um, I haven't walked into any of them, but I'm beginning to start observing it more. And the same things that you said, there have been people who have come to me and said, hey, this stuff works. The oil, for, especially for like the arthritis, that it really helps with their joint pain and that it's um, it's it's medicinal, you know, that it does work. It grows from the ground. It's natural. It's not man-made or manufactured in some, uh, you know, some some laboratory. So it has natural remedies to it. Um, 
Naomi, you're a woman, African-American, and you're in this industry. What's, uh, what's been your experience so far? Um, chauvinism, sexism, or has it been like a stroll in the park? What's, what's it been like? So for me, I guess I've just been lucky. It's kind of been a stroll in the, in the park for me. And I think it's more so because I'm an ancillary business. I'm an accountant. I have over 15 years of accounting experience. So I've, you know, been, I'm a CPA. So I've made a name for myself. Uh, and, you know, I, I can, I know debits and credits back and forth and I, and I can show it and I can, you know, a lot of the stuff that we teach and I actually teach accountants. Um, and so just having my CPA license and, and that experience qualifies me to do what I'm doing. I, I know that is a little bit tougher for people who are actually trying to open dispensaries or have farms, um, different things like that. I have spoken to some women um, groups. Um, I, I had a conversation this week with a woman who's actually doing a full on study. Um, and she had, it took, I, I took the study. It took 20 minutes to get through. She asked some very detailed questions. She got over 900 responses in three different countries. And so wow. she's got some really good information and I can't wait for the results of her study to come out. Um, but based on my brief conversation with her, she says it is not a walk in the park for most women, mm -hmm. um, women of color. She says for uh, white women, it's a little bit easier um, based on her study. Um, but for women of color, it's not. Wow. I want to spend wow. some time. Um, obviously, you've taken the time to come on and speak to us about this, this subject. Um, but I wanted to spend some time talking about your business and kind of specifically what it does. Right. And. Um, what it is that you're trying to foster as far as folks that were like you that were probably trying to find their way, maybe find something that they were passionate about. Can you speak a little bit more about a bit more expanded about what it is that you guys do on a day to day basis outside of just supporting, um, I guess, the cannabis um, businesses that you support as far as providing accounting and so forth? What else do you guys do? Yeah, awesome. So we provide training. So what happened was me and um, when I wanted to learn about doing accounting for cannabis, I went and I sought out a mentor and he just so happened to be my business partner, Andrew. And um, I I didn't know there, you can't Google how to do proper accounting in cannabis or cannabis accounting or chart of accounts for cannabis accounting, or you can't Google any of that stuff because this is a brand new industry. Right. That, uh, and because it's still federally le illegal, a lot of the bigger firms are not here. So you're not seeing your PricewaterhouseCoopers, right. your EY, your, your, even your BDOs, you're not seeing the, um, the Grant Thorntons, you're not seeing the, the large to mid tier firms in this industry because they would have to go through a lot of red tape. They would have to change their insurance. They would have to worry about any social stigma with their other clients. The, there's just so much that they would have to go through in order to bring this into their business. So typically you would see white papers and things from Pricewaterhouse or E&Y on how to do depreciation and you know cost accounting and all this stuff for different industries, but that's just not there. And so I reached out to my business partner. He had already been in the industry for over four years when I reached out to him. Um, we started working together and I wasn't the only one who reached out to him. Um, there were a bunch of other accountants that started reaching out to him. And so he developed a training program because you know he was short on time. He didn't, you know, you can't just talk to everybody and mentor everybody. And it's just too much 
you can't just take a phone call and know exactly what you need. You kind of need somebody there that you can come back and forth to, bounce ideas, ask questions as you come across it while you're working that client. And so we launched a cannabis training program and we've taught over 500 accounting firms to date. We launched it in January wow. of 2018. So it's we're only two and a half years in. And so far we've, we've um, enrolled over 500 accounting firms um, and we're the only company that's offering training to accountants. Um, and we show you from A to Z how to find these license holders, how to talk to them, what are their pain points? What do you say when you get on the phone call? What types of questions should you be asking them to understand their business and understand what it will take for you to actually do their, their books for them or their tax return? And then how do you actually do it? What types of work papers do you need? Um, what do do you what does your how do you onboard them what type of legal documents that you do you need to ensure that they're legal because we don't advocate doing the books for any <laughs> illegal business um, you want to ensure that they're legal but then how do you um, dot your I's and cross all of your T's in order to make sure that you have everything lined up for this industry because um, these 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 companies are the ones that are being audited. I mean, that's where the most money is. The right. IRS knows that they're messing up, that they don't really understand the guidance because mm -hmm. the guidance just isn't clear. And wow. so they're going after these companies. They're auditing these companies. They're giving them huge up to the up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I saw in one court case of accuracy related penalties. You wow. have to pay us two hundred fifty thousand dollars because your books were not accurate. Ugh. That doesn't even include how much back taxes you have to pay now because your books weren't accurate. Um, and wow. then a lot, some people are getting prison sentences for not having things properly, but they're do, they don't know what they don't know. Like they're, they're getting in trouble for things they don't even know is wrong. And so that's why it's so, we thought it was so important to get the education out there, not only to the accountants who want to enter this industry, but I also get the education out to the business owners because they need to understand that they, their books have to be done properly or else they can have the, the best marketing, they could have the best logo and the best brand and the, you know all that stuff. But if, they're if their books aren't done right and mm -hmm. the IRS comes in, they will lose their license and they may end up you know, locked up. Now, are you involved in, let's say the IRS does get involved, are you involved in like, for instance, when, when uh, auditing firms come to our company, they sit down with our, our accountants and folks and they walk through everything to make sure everything's accurate, right? Are you sitting down with these cannabis firms to, because you're not signing anything, you're just doing bookkeeping, but are you sitting down with the IRS and actually walking them through the accuracy to make sure that they know that what you're putting in there uh, is accurate? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm not personally, if, so I haven't had any clients who've been audited yet. A lot of these businesses, a lot of the IRS audits are a couple years down the road. So mm -hmm. people file their tax return and then they don't hear from the IRS a couple of months and they think they're in the clear. That's not the case. Right. The IRS will come, you know, in 2021 yep. and say, let me see 2017. Wow. Um, and mm -hmm. so I haven't had a client yet to be audited. Uh, and a lot of times when you're actually going through that audit, you need to be, um, you need an attorney mm -hmm. and you need like a tax, uh, a, a tax CPA uh, to help with that. 
Um, as the accountant, what I teach is for my members in accounting firms who are doing this, how do you make sure that all the books and records are so clean and crisp that when that audit happens, we're going to save so much time for that business owner. When that, you know, when that company comes or when the IRS says, what, what is this $100,000 expense? You can just send them a folder that has all of the support, the invoices, the receipts, so that um, they have the answer to their question and then there's um there's no digging there's no trying to recreate documents and stuff it's just nice and clean um but yeah as the as the auditor your your um role or not the auditor as the accountant mm -hmm. your role will be just to supply the support to the irs as they request it so naomi um someone comes so as you can see clifton stevenson shout out <laughs> to clifton. He's like really advocating for a school in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna book your ticket, get get in contact with their cliffish and see what can be worked out. So you yeah. know so my school is is um all over the US. Um so we have we have more than five hundred accountants in over in all fifty states not over <laughs> in all fifty <laughs> states. So if it's something that you want to do as an accountant, I will drop a link in this chat so that you can um so that you can contact me. Let me just pull it up. That'd be great. And then I can put it up on the screen as well. Um, so, so Naomi, quick question as you're, as you're doing that um, is this. So let's use Clifton as, a, <laughs> as, as an example. Clifton is gonna come to you and Clifton is interested in starting a business um, in this area. Mm -hmm. What would what would Clifton need to come to the table with? Does he need a certain amount of capital? Does he need a line of credit? Does he need should he start with working for or mirroring somebody? How does somebody actually jump into this um, without drowning immediately or ever drowning? Let me say ever drowning. OK, so if he wants to come to me, I'm going to teach him accounting. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't need a lot of capital to start an, a remote online accounting business. You need a computer. Um, you might need access to certain uh, pieces of software, which have maybe a monthly subscription of from 10 to $99 a month. Um, mm -hmm. If he wants to come in as a cannabis company, a dispensary, a growth facility, then he's going to need to bring together investors. He's going to need to bring together um you know, half a million to millions of dollars of capital um, uh, to the table. Um, so, so yeah. So it just depends on what, where, how he wants to come in to this business. Okay. Cool. Cool. And what? So, so go ahead, McDonald. Go ahead. Sorry about that. I was gonna say. So, um, in that same vein, though, um, I've always been an advocate for people kind of getting in on the ground floor. So, understanding the the politics behind things, knowing who to get involved with. Like we always see, like these businesses pop up and we're like, wait a second, I didn't know that this was being worked or someone was involved in it. And you try to think about how can you be an investor on the front end? How did you get in early and all of that? Let's say there are states, right? That hadn't fully gone full bore with le the legalization. Um, but I want to get into the know as far as, you know, who should I know? What should I be doing? How should I prepare? What are some of the best resources that you um, know about that I should probably at least tap into? Great question. And this is what we also teach in our training program that um, you have to become a VIP in the industry, which is an acronym for a valuable expert, an instructor and a participant. So mm -hmm. the P stands for participant. And a lot of times people think, oh, it's not legal yet. I'm just going to wait for it to become legal and then I'm going to look into it. 
you're already too late. So if you aren't looking at it, if just because it's not legal doesn't mean the conversations aren't being had right now. Right. You have the legislators, they have to figure out what it's going to look like before they legalize it. And so they're having public meetings. Um, they're trying to figure out what this is going to look like. They're trying to figure out how many licenses they're going to have. Like all of these meetings you can attend and, and depending on what your ancillary business is. So you can either be going there expecting or, or wanting to see how to get your own license, or you can be going there as an ancillary business. So we teach our accountants to go to those meetings. So for instance, we have several accountants who are in our program out of the state of Texas. And Texas is not, you know, all the way, or they don't have a lot of licenses yet. They're not a lot of legal medical. However, the state of Oklahoma went legal. And so a lot, and they issued four thousand licenses in that state wow. and there aren't very many accountants in the state of oklahoma it's a very conservative state that even wanted to touch it and so um a lot of our accountants went to the state of oklahoma to not physically but they targeted the state of oklahoma to find a bunch of clients and they were able to build a big practice but not only did they build a practice out of the state of oklahoma they are in the meetings in texas so that they could be involved as it's going legal in their state and so wow. you'll be in the meetings not only in you know you'll be there with the legislators but you'll also be there with future license holders and right. so if once it does go legal and if the if these people are granted a license you're going to be the first to mind because they saw you there in those meetings they know that you understand what they went through they know that you understand you know all the laws related to this industry and so they're going to want to work with you um first and so it's if you if this is something that you want to do i would and you're in a state that it's not legal i would say get get started now and not only that i um i know a couple of business owners who were granted licenses and they told me it was like maybe a two-year process to get that license wow. Before it even was before it even was legal in their state, they were already figuring out what their SOPs look like. What does their business plan look like? How is their payroll going to look? The budgets, all these things. They were trying to figure all this out and lining everything up for two years so that when the when it went legal in their state and it was time to actually fill out the application, everything was lined up. They were able to fill out the application and submit it immediately because you'll be surprised. Like as soon as it goes legal, you know, the next day they're like, oh, we've got given away all the applications and you're like, how did that, it just went legal wow. yesterday. How did that happen? Yeah. That's because people are already figuring out what it's going to look like for them um, and, and getting involved before right it actually happens. Wow. 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 You're giving, you giving some, you giving some gems. <laughs> Robert Bailey is feeling, feeling everything that you're saying. He's saying that you gave great advice. So, uh, now, I'm assuming to be an accountant, you have to have uh, some sort of accounting background in before you can even attempt to try to get into that field mm -hmm. before you can um, before you start trying to balance somebody's books. You got to know about your receivables and all this stuff. Have you had experience with anyone who has tried to come to you who hasn't had a background <laughs> in accounting that wants to say, yo, I want to do this? <laughs> So no, not right now. Our program, um, we, re we request that you have at least two years of an accounting background because our program is kind of, it's limited to 
showing you how to take your existing account accounting knowledge and applying it to this particular industry. So we don't teach debits and credits. We don't teach you know, how to use QuickBooks <laughs> and all those types of things. We don't start right. you there. We start you at, okay, you already understand QuickBooks. You may have worked um, as an accounting clerk or something somewhere, and now you want to start your own business and um, start it in this particular industry. We, sh we show you how to apply your skill set to this industry. Now, we don't require, you don't have to have a CPA, uh, mm -hmm. EA, any any advanced degree or um, advanced uh, certificate, uh, mm -hmm. you could still do it. You just need to really understand the basics of accounting. Got okay, it. cool. That's pretty so cool. So we got a question. We got a question from some woman named Carrie Jean. I don't know if you got heard of her or know her, but uh, so she wants to know, as a successful entrepreneur, what other tips, lessons can you share with others that want to leave their current jobs to become a full-time business owner? What are the advantages and disadvantages of going on your own? Oh my gosh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first part of the question, um, tips and lessons for others to leave their current job. So let's start there. In order to leave your current job, I would recommend that you create a plan. Um, if, you, you're, if you're currently employed, I strongly recommend that people invest in whatever it is, whatever education or training that they need in order to make it to that next level. Um, I was I was unemployed for two years and I spent upwards of $50,000 wow. on education. And people were like, you're crazy, what are you? But you know, I went to university. However, when I graduated college, it, online stuff, social media didn't exist. Right. So I didn't learn this stuff. I didn't learn how to be an online business. I didn't learn how to be an entrepreneur really in college either. And so I knew that it, I needed um, not only to invest in just education and, and understanding it, but to invest in mentors and people who are there and who are, who are living the life that I wanted to live mm -hmm. so that I can understand how to get there too. Um, and mm -hmm. so while you have an employee, that is your best per investor to help you um, get the income that you need to invest in these things. And then also um, save. Um, I, 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 um, I saved while I was in employed. I invested in education as well as saved just in case there is some lag time between me actually finding something that's actually going to earn me enough income um, and, you know, trying to figure it out. Um, so I knew that it was going to take some time. Um, I would recommend you try to stay with your employer for as long as you can so that you have that um, income. If you're able to be disciplined and you have the time to do it on the side and or do it on the weekends, that's the best. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually let go from my job. So I kind of just had all of the time, <laughs> you know, luckily I saved up for that moment. I had um, enough to, to weather the storm. Um, but if, if you're not in that position, try to stay on that job for as long as you can. So transitioning out, make sure you're saving and getting the education you need. And even if it's like if it's another skill set you want to learn, you can um, start doing a, a side hustle on that or working part time for somebody who's doing that, depending on what it is um, or offering it as a being a consultant or offering it to friends and family or, or something. But get the knowledge that you need in whatever skill set you want. Um, and then the advantages and disadvantages. So the main disadvantages, but I think this is, the main disadvantage is a disadvantage for any scenario, is that, you know, you don't know 
where you're, you may not know at the beginning if you're going to get a next paycheck or if you're a consultant, you know, they can always get rid of you and with a 30 day notice. Um, But I mean, they got rid of (laughs) 30 million people in the country just, you know, in the last month. So or 20 million, however, whatever the stat is. So there's nothing that's guaranteed. I got fired Mm -hmm. from my job. So that's not guaranteed. So there's really nothing that's guaranteed. I always look at every single paycheck as my last paycheck. So I'm Hmm. I'm always making sure, okay, I got this. Let me put this to the side. Let me make sure that this debt is gone. And none none of this stuff is, just in case this is the last one, I'll Mm -hmm. be good until I can figure out how to get the next one. Um, Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So that's one of the disadvantages, but that's just life. Um, One of the advantages of being a business owner is you have freedom and flexibility. And um, like right now, during this time when everything went on lockdown and a lot of people are working from home, I have had the closest connection Hmm. with many of my friends and family because they actually have the time to get on the phone. <laughs> like they're sitting in the house all day. They're going crazy because their kids are running around and their husband or their wife is driving them crazy. And they're like, Hey, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you okay? You know, everybody is calling, making sure that everybody is okay. Um, but they have a little bit more freedom because they're able to work from home and they're not busy, stuck in traffic, heading, you know, heading to work, um, heading home from work, going to pick the kids up, figuring out what what's for dinner you know getting them down all that stuff like all that kind of relaxes a little bit when you have um mm-hmm. freedom over your time and i i heard this quote i actually i've heard it before but i actually just heard it again today um where uh, think about what is the most important thing to you personally in your life and most people will say my family is number one my um my family is number one, my spirituality is number two, or vice versa, however you want to. But then think about where do you spend most of your time? Work. And is that work? So you're not spending the most of your time in the things that are the most important to you. And so that's the advantage of being an entrepreneur in, um, like I wanted to create the life that I wanted. And so when I was still working, I was thinking, this is not the life that I want. The life that I want is being able to spend quality time with the people that I love. Um, I like to travel and I, uh, I've been to McDonald's, spend the night at my friends' houses all over the country and spend time with them, get to know their kids and all those things. And those are the things that are valuable to me. So um, that I feel like that's the, the biggest advantage is being able to create, once you learn how to make money, other than um, somebody telling you what you're worth, mm-hmm. that opens so much freedom. Like when I was unemployed for two two years, the first time that I told somebody, hey, I could do this for you and the fee is gonna be $2,500. And they said, yes, hmm. I felt like I printed money. I was like, oh my wow. gosh. I nice. mean, I just made something up and I told them what I was worth and they they agreed. I was wow. able to express the value well enough to them that they agreed and they paid me. And that's the most, uh, I felt like that was the most valuable lesson that I, I learned as an entrepreneur. And so if anything were to happen, you know, the world can come to an end, but I know how to go out there and figure out a way to add value to somebody's life to a point where they feel like they can return or compensate me for it. Man, I have one question. question. So, go ahead, Jamie. No, I'm just saying, man, I'm I'm just, I mean, I'm ready to 
play the play the organ. <laughs> that was that was just, that was amazing. That was I have a question. I have a question for you. So I'm always curious when when I meet you know very successful people. Um, you mentioned something about you know where you spend your time and what's important to you and all that other stuff. But I'm also curious about what what are they reading? What are they filling their minds with to get them or keep them motivated or um, like what's their go-to book or what's their Bible that they refer to um, for their discipline or just overall in general? What's your, what would you say is your number one or the book that you read that had the biggest impact on your life that was the paradigm shift to where you are right now? Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> um, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, hmm. which, I mean, it's just a little short book. I actually read this um, when it first came out. And I remember I was working at the Home Depot and I, I had it as an audio audible. And as I was driving to work every day, I listened to that. And I always kept it in the back of my mind. I want to be able he I guess he I think he called it like retire retirement lifestyle or something where you kind of retire early, but you're not really retired. You're working from your computer, but right. you're able to travel and live like you're retired. Um, and so he talked about how you can find remote workers. Um, he talked about how you can reduce, you know, your, your, the time that you spend on your work or your business to four hours a week and spend the rest of the week doing whatever you want. Um, and so that was always in the back of my head. Eventually I want that type of life. I want that type of business. I got to, got to figure out how to get out of the office and into, you know, um, being able to just work from my computer. And so and that one's not one of the main, one of the big ones that come up, but that one has always been in the, like, that was a game changer for me. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to do something a little fun. This is an <laughs> audible I'm throwing at you because um, I don't want to keep it too serious or whatever. So tell the people <laughs> one hidden talent that Naomi has that no one really knows about. Um, I can juggle. <laughs> I can juggle three pieces of objects. <laughs> I'm trying to teach my daughter, so I don't even know how to do it that well. But that's a, so. Uh, know, I haven't done it in a long time, but in like elementary school or middle school, we had to learn a talent, and that was the talent that I learned. And I was good. I was going <laughs> under my leg, and I was doing all types of wow. things back right then. Wow. <laughs> So you can you can add that to your business. Not only learn how to do accounting, but <laughs> with the hidden talent. Well, I, well, Naomi, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with us. I mean, I learned a lot that I didn't know about this industry, and I'm sure our viewers learned a lot about it. Um, and I appreciate you just sharing all the nuggets and jewels. I'm sure people walked away from here. I feel smarter already, right? Um, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and taking the time to talk to us about this. And I hope that someone that probably had some indecision in their current career that may um, you know, be looking for something else that they wanna do, um, I hope that you inspired them to do that. Jamie, do you have anything else you wanna say? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Naomi, thank you once again. The, the folks out there are like, they want to see you juggle. They don't believe you. Maybe next time. I got to do a little practice. If you drop some gems, I celebrate you um, for having the courage to step out and to work for yourself. Being a pioneer. You know, to be a pioneer yeah. in the industry. I'm glad to say that I know you, that, uh, you know, and, and 
and that you're just a dope person. And so we had a really dope woman on our really dope show. And so we give you the <laughs> crown of one really dope queen. Who that's is right, that's right. And my, my advice to everybody who's watching, stop smoking it, start selling it, you know, stop <laughs> legally. <laughs> well, Naomi, anything else you want to leave with the people in any way that they can reach you, that, that you want to put your information out there where folks can get in contact with you? Yeah, um, you can find me on all social media. I'm pretty sure um, wherever this is, uh, Naomi Granger on Instagram, I am dopest CFO. Okay. So at dopest CFO uh, on on um, Facebook, you can find Naomi Granger, our dope CFO. On YouTube, we're dope CFO. So Twitter, we're dope CFO. Um, so yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us again, and thanks for everyone that. Uh, decided to join us and watch this. Please share it. Please awesome. subscribe. Um, and we look forward to the next conversation. This is two really dope dudes. Signing Thank out. You. Bye. Peace. <laughs>